welcome to the Rugged Edge Survival Guide, a Rugged Edge computing podcast by Premio, where it's all about the hardware I.O. Join us on our constant search into how embedded computing solutions are transforming the enterprise business landscape. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Rugged Edge Survival Guide, a Premio podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you listening along to what's shaping the future of the rugged edge. As you're listening to today's thought leadership, make sure that you're subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. When you hit that subscribe button, you get a full catalog of previous episodes and also notifications when we drop new ones. You can also go to our website, premioinc.com. Again, premioinc.com for more information on some of the technologies that you're going to hear us break down today, but also for more Rugged Edge thought leadership, including podcasts, videos, articles, and more. So with some of our previous conversations on the podcast, we've made the case for why edge computing is becoming more of a mainstay across various industries, how edge computing is intersecting with other edge technologies, and more. But what we haven't yet dug deep into is what it takes for your edge computing solutions to handle today's massive workloads. What does it take on the hardware end? So on today's episode, we're exploring the top essential hardware requirements for edge computing. We're going to be breaking down why these standards matter in relation to the processes most common over edge computing today and understanding how these hardware requirements operate in practice for various business use cases. So for insights today, we're joined by our usual guest, Mr. Dustin C2, Director of Product Marketing. Dustin, always a pleasure getting to chat. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm glad to be back. It's exciting to really drive uh, rugged edge and really explain the benefits of all this edge computing that's come into light. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And joining us for the first time is Kenneth Howe, business development manager for Premio. Kenneth, also great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm doing great today. Thank you uh, for having me on. Absolutely. It's a pleasure getting to chat with both of you and like Dustin said, I'm looking forward to unpacking some of these use cases around edge technology, but more importantly, really giving our audience a set of tips and tools to understand how they should be building the infrastructure of their edge computing hardware. So I want to start simple and just lay the groundwork for why this conversation matters today. Can you both give us some insights on why hardware standards matter so much for today's edge computing needs? Yeah, so I think hardware and software have always kind of been their own school of thoughts. Um, and I think if you talk to anyone from each of those fields, they're very adamant and strong about, you know, why it's so important. Um, but we're starting to see um, this marrying of a relationship. And I think hardware and software are always going to be paired together. No matter what anyone says, I'm a very true believer that hardware and software are always working together. Um, very simply, software provides the flexibility and hardware is in line to provide the hardware performance that drives the, the flexibility of the software. So in a lot of these newer software algorithms, spe specifically in edge computing, these software algorithms and machine learning algorithms are really written to run on efficiently purpose-built hardware. And that's where Premio really comes into play is that we are consolidating all these converging technologies into an actual system level to really drive the performance that's moving out to the edge where uh, data is being interacted in real time and real time intelligence. And I'll just add to that. Uh, so, you know, I interface a lot with our customers and from what I've seen so far, 
uh, a lot of these specialized software that our customer uses are really based on uh, very specialized needs depending on whatever industry and field they're in however a lot of these software they need you know ruggedized hardware to run on because of the very specific needs that they run in whether it's an industrial setting or an automobile setting or what have you these uh, specialized programs need a uh, ruggedized hardware in order to run appropriately let's get a little more context on what edge computing technology is being used for today and how that intersects with hardware needs and we've broken down a lot of these use cases already in previous episodes so if you want that full breakdown i would go listen to those as well but for just a quick summary dustin and kenneth could you break down some of the top use cases today for edge compute technology and how that is impacting the hardware needs specifically give us that overview and obviously we'll get more specific in a little bit in the last few podcasts, what I've done is I've really defined the need and the trends of what edge computing is. And just to kind of recap, um, essentially what that is, is uh, traditionally all this compute power uh, is now being shifted and closer to where data is being generated through Internet of Things sensors. So as you move the processing power closer to the data, um, you are now having workloads become more intelligent. You are now having these workloads being able to drive business decisions um, pretty quickly and, and with a lot of speed and accuracy. You know, really the products that are really coming to light as you move into a lot of these, you know, remote, harsh uh, mobile applications. And like you mentioned, use cases. So there's robotics, uh, computer vision, intelligent transportation, smart surveillance, uh, outdoor kiosks. So th these are some of the applications where as you're moving the processing power closer to these sensors, you're going to need a reliable computer that's running 24-7 because uh, lots of times you don't have the ability to actually uh, send a technician out there to really repair anything. So, you know, Premio for the past 30 years, um, I think our strength and our core capability is really supporting the software advancements, but implementing our hardware strategies. And we do this uh, by engineering, manufacturing, and putting together a pretty reliable, tested, proven system that's able to now deploy in these harsh physical environments. So, I mean, what does that include? So uh, if you take it, if you break down the overall system level, you have everything from your external hardened enclosure, your internal components, all of that is done through a com combination of mechanical thermal engineering that really addresses the environmental issues experienced in these new use cases where like, for example, shock and vibration, you know, wide temperature, moisture and dirt. So um, as we continue forward with our roadmap and as we continue to push the ruggedization in our products, uh, we're really confident that with newer processing technologies, storage technologies, uh, we're able to build a pretty robust product to help eliminate downtime and ensure 24-7 like, operation. So as we continue with our leadership um, and our complete edge system design, um, you're starting to see um, IoT and automation really bridge together and really transform a layer of intelligence for a lot of these new business operations and their workloads. Yeah, and uh, Daniel, just to uh, kind of add to that, uh, what Dustin said, uh, you mentioned earlier uh, what sort of industries rely on these kind of edge computing. Uh, it really runs a gamut. It's, they're basically present in anywhere that computers are needed out in the open world. So they can either be uh, in vehicle, uh, they can be used in uh, automated kiosks, they can be used for uh, machine vision uh, on in size facilities, on pr uh, production lines. So it, there's a wide range. And what Premium was able to do is we're able to design systems that are able to meet all these uh, different needs 
because of the flexibility and the modularity of our systems, we're able to have a very uh, strong but yet flexible portfolio to meet all these industry standards. Uh, whether it's you know whether they need super fast NVMe technology, whether they need particularly wide temperature uh, tolerance because they're operating in outdoors environments, or you know they need a specialized ports and I/O to meet their legacy usage. Yeah, so I think yeah, Kenneth Kenneth mentioned a lot of a lot of good points, but I think kind of taking a step back, I really want the audience to really understand the importance of hardware, and I think the importance of hardware kind of flew under the radar um, through the explosive growth of the cloud and what the cloud was, because a lot of people when they think about the cloud, it's some intangible object like what the definition is. It's sitting in the cloud, but if you actually break down what the cloud is, there's these massive, massive, massive data centers, and these data centers are filled with high performance servers, which are all hardware, by the way, right, and working with software. So um, essentially, I think as this shift of data or processing gets closer to where the data is being generated, um, this intelligence and or the intelligent edge is where computers, hardware computers and computing processing is really going to power the next level of AI technology. You're going to get better data analytics. And especially with all this new connectivity that's on the horizon, right? You have your 5G network starting to come into play. Um, all our major telecom carriers are starting to promote 5G. So what that does is you now have better bandwidth, right? Ultra low latency to deliver performance in real time, which is something that hasn't been done before. So um, I think edge computing in terms of the whole, the infrastructure is the full potential is starting to really come into play. Um, the major challenge that I think that um, the, in the industry is currently dealing with is how do you navigate this ecosystem now, right? Because you're starting to make this shift of uh, the data. You're starting to make this shift closer. You're starting to see this there's going to be a lot of major partnerships and hardware manufacturers. And when I talk about hardware manufacturers, you have your sensors, gateways, industrial PCs, servers, all working with the hyperscale cloud giants and really the connectivity, telecom connectivity providers to kind of streamline that process to deliver uh, what the benefits of edge computing is as a whole. So you recently published a blog on this very subject that lays out the top 10 key hardware needs for edge deployments today. And we'll make sure to link that in the description if you want to read a summary of what we're going to break down today. But the purpose of our podcast is to get very detailed with those top 10 and intersect them with grounded business use cases to really understand why these hardware needs matter and why they can really make or break whether or not your edge compute investment is worth the investment. So now what we're going to do is we're going to break down each of these top 10. I'm going to pose a few questions to y'all and really try to understand why these intersections matter. So let's start with the first one listed on the blog, uh, and that would be that, uh, well, at least Premio's advice here is that the first main differentiator is that your edge computer should be rocking a fanless design. How does this intersect with today's edge computing needs, especially the rugged locations where they're increasingly deployed? I love how you said rock fanless design. So um, from, from a hardware perspective, I think if you're not going fanless, you're not cool. So that's our perspective. Ooh, I um, like that. Yeah, because from, from hardware, especially industrial computing, like you really truly need to understand the reliability for our customers, right? Uh, a lot of our customers are a lot of mission critical type of applications, and they truly rely on a, on, on a reliable hardware that's able to run whatever application or workload that they're doing. So um, I think it's it's quite simple. So the, the fanless design, what it's doing, doing is that it's 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 ex 
extending the reliability of the product. But not only is it just the fanless design, is that you're able to kind of jam pack all this newer processing power and data um, and actually create a computing solution that's able to interact with these IoT sensors. And as again, right, right, as you get closer to the data, as you get closer to these IoT sensors, lots of times these IoT sensors are, are not necessarily in the most controlled environments. They're sitting in, you know, mobile environments, they're sitting in remote environments, and all of that, or even factory environments, right? So, you know, putting together um, a reliable industrial computer really stems from looking at the product or the computing architecture from a system level design, right? Um, a lot of people or a lot of, uh, I would say, a lot of other type of products will just pull off the shelf motherboards, throw them into an off the shelf chassis, and then put it together and call it an industrial grade design. I totally disagree with that because they're not really looking at it from a system level. We really truly look literally from the board out. We look at the specific CPU that we're being choosing. We're, we're looking at the specific uh, capacitors, components, all that out into the overall enclosure of the product. And then we throw in our mechanical and thermal engineering techniques to really achieve a truly ruggedized product. And then it's only going to explode as IoT and edge computing grows. So to give a few uh, concrete examples of uh, what Dustin uh, spoke of earlier, uh, I can provide a few use cases from our customer's point of view. Uh, so for example, we have a customer that specializes in natural disaster detection. And what they do is they run their specialized algorithm, their software uh, on our computers, which they deploy in outdoors environments. Now these the computers are deployed in places where it's very remote, it's up mountains, it's in areas that are hard to uh, assess by their engineers and technicians. So they got to make sure that these units are 100% reliable all the time. And so they, they need to make sure that these are wide temperature tolerant systems. So what we did uh, from Premio's uh, side was to spec in uh, components and to make sure that these units will meet all their ruggedized requirements. And we got to make sure that these units are also fanless because we can't risk uh, dust or other kind of particles getting inside the system and basically causing failure. We have another customer uh, and they deploy our system as basically surveillance systems uh, in oil and gas uh, rigs all over the United States. Now these oil rigs are worth billions of dollars, they are pumping uh, crude oil. So these are very highly sensitive environments. And again, these are in remote, uh, very hard to assess environments. And we got to make sure that these systems that we give them are very reliable and ruggedized uh, because we cannot risk a single hour or down a minute of, of downtime. When we consider the impact of a fanless design on the rest of the design of the computer, does going fanless bring up any specific design challenges? Uh, and if so, how are they avoided or solved? Uh, yeah, so definitely, I would think the challenges are greater now, and I think it requires a little bit of more know-how. Um, so tr just to kind of talk a little bit traditionally about fanless designs, it's just very simple thermodynamics. You're kind of looking at their overall uh, dynamics of each component and recognizing the output of heat and really coming up with a thermal solution that's able to dissipate the heat. Um, so in computing and hardware, you're usually doing this through some type of heat 
zinc that basically is a conductive uh, raw material of metal that can actually move heat away from the critical component. So critical components being CPU, memory, and storage, uh, specifically compute. Um, but the reason why I feel right now the biggest design challenge from uh, you know a rugged edge computer manufacturer for over 30 years and what we're starting to see is that you're starting to see all these major processors increase in performance. You're starting to see all the storage increase in performance. So everything is pushing, I mean, based on Moore's law, right? There's all these silicon transistors being jam-packed into these small nanometer silicon. Um, and as you increase in the performance, it's just very natural physics, right? When you're going up to 8, 12 or more cores in a CPU, that just naturally increases the heat. Um, so when you do that, that forces us as a system level um, you know, designer to look at the overall uh, thermal envelope and the package to truly understand what the demand is and we really come up with new innovative ways to really make it a fanless design so um, one key key example is that right right now in a lot of these edge computers we're able to stout now push you know now 65 watt cpus which are pretty powerful and these are like your standard core desktop type of processors that you're going to be sitting on your desktop for gaming and you're still we're still able to do a thermal solution in a design um, in, in a fanless design in addition to that right um, you're starting to see see all this performance acceleration for machine learning and artificial intelligence. What is happening on a hardware level is that you're starting to see these new uh, performance accelerators through GPUs. And these GPUs are really, really, really powerful. And you really have to figure out a way to cool this GPU. So um, once you, and Kenneth meant this, mentioned this earlier, once you modularize design, we're able to keep the CPU a fanless design, but still deliver the machine learning performance acceleration um, and still keep the GPU running at an optimal level to deliver performance. So yeah, those are some challenges that we deal with, but we make them through. And yeah, we have a customer that uh, you know specializes in machine vision uh, algorithms. So they need uh, a system that can support GPU, but it's still at the same time have uh, industrial ruggedized features to use uh, in the CIDR system uh, because they need it to function on production lines, for example. So what our unit does is we are able to package and use a full-length uh, GPU video card to run their uh, specific algorithm. And compared to CPUs, GPUs have thousands of cores, whereas a CPU might have only eight. You know, so that's a huge contrast in kind of the dif performance difference. So these customers are really looking for that kind of next level GPU performance to run these uh, sort of machine learning and uh, machine AI uh, software. All right, let's get to top 10 entry number two. And that would be making sure that the computers meet the performance requirements for their various needs. So this means everything from CPU to GPU to memory, you know, all of these need to be efficient for various types of workloads. How do you know whether to go with, for example, a system on a chip or a socket based industrial computer? What are some of the dynamics that shape that um, performance decision? Yeah, so luckily for us, um, there's leaders in this industry in silicon and semiconductors. So you have Intel, you have AMD, and you have ARM, and you have incredible engineers, right, on silicon and engineers who are really looking at the th TDP or the thermal envelope of the silicon to really make it efficient, power efficient, but still deliver performance. Um, so to answer that question, right, I mean, I think um, working with all these partners, we're able to see um, their innovation in the design, specifically in a lot of these system on chip designs. And what system on chip designs are is basically uh, everything from your processing memory is all embedded, graphics is all embedded into a single, a single SOC on the chip. And what these incredible innovators have been able to do is that, you know, nanometer type of silicon at very, very low TDP, which is around, you know, 15 to 15. 
5 to 15 watt TDP, but still deliver a pretty decent performance. So um, as you move into a lot of these edge-based type processing workloads, you need to keep that thermal dynamic um, into consideration um, in order to still deliver um, performance for what the application is needing. To kind of dive into that a little bit more on a customer level, it really depends on the customer's use case. Some customers uh, they just need a simple system to run a, you know, a simpler software that they wrote on Linux, for example. We have a, a kiosk customers, uh, they do smart vending and they have their own Linux program and they just need a more power efficient and compact unit. In that case, all you need is, is a simple like a Celeron or a small SOC chip. But there's some other customers that are requiring more uh, high performance, for example, i5, i7 CPUs. Uh, and those we will, you know, spec in a, for example, a socket, uh, socket CPU that's 35 watts, 65 watts to be able to meet their requirements. Still in a fanless design because fanless is being cool. Yes, still in a fanless design. That's correct. Yes. <laughs> Are there any misconceptions around choosing the right hardware uh, that, you know, matches performance requirements for an edge computer? Maybe a better way to phrase that is, do you often find that end users think that, oh, yes, this performance requirement is going to be enough or this is the right move when in fact it isn't or maybe it's overkill or yeah, just any misconceptions there that you often hear? All the time. That's a very good question. All the time. Um when a lot of our customers really um, write their software algorithms and their software based on the hardware, um, and then when they come to us, uh, they, they really do have a pretty big request in terms of their overall hardware, and it's really lots of times overkill. Um, I think our, our strength and our capability is to work with them and we find a, a suitable solution, computing solution that's number, number one, going to deliver performance that they need, but also help them save costs because no one really wants to pay for this, you know, super performance based. And if they're not even utilizing what they're, they're buying, then right, it's, it's a waste of money. So we're able to meet the hardware requirements based on their application workload and still deliver, um, you know, redundancy, the processing through the application. Yeah, and because Premio is you know, hardware expert, uh, we're able to advise our customers based on their use case. You know what is the exact specs that they should have. Now it could be it could sometimes be the case that the customer have their own idea or their own feedback on what they need. But it turns it, it but we serve in a consultative approach. So if a customer you know needs a specific high performance requirements, maybe we'll give them 16 gig of ram 32 gig of ram with a higher uh, capacity mvme drive and a more powerful cpu it, it really depends on use case and where that's something that we're able to consult with the customer on let's jump over to the number three entry for the top 10 compute technology needs this one is more about the geographical impact of the solution uh, so because edge computers are deployed on site, often in rugged locations, uh, they are necessarily having to be smaller and they need to be able to be mounted just about anywhere so that they not only are not an eyesore, uh, but also so they can be expertly placed to avoid the uh, harshest conditions and be kept safe. So how do these on-site decisions, both the size and the mounting, impact the hardware decisions around the uh, computer technology? 
lots of times when customers are not really dealing with hardware on a normal basis, the first thing they look at is they're just going to buy whatever is the cheapest thing. And that's the, probably the biggest mistake because a lot of these applications or enterprise applications or business applications that it just doesn't work that way. So what we've seen uh, specifically in a lot of like uh, digital signage markets, out kiosk markets or anything that's driving kind of a back end content media player, uh, we've seen customers just pull a regular kind of, uh, you know, small form factor type of computer and literally put it on the back of anything with with like zip ties, right? And number one being that the product is, is not an industrial grade product. The first problem and challenge that they would come to us and be like, how come my, my, my computers are failing? How come my computers aren't working, right? So if you're not even looking at it from an industrial grade design, you're, you're, you're gonna run into a lot of challenges. Uh, second thing is that mounting option, right? So um, you're not gonna, most desktop computers are desktop computers for a reason because they're not meant to be mounted anywhere. But when you look at it from an industrial grade design, there's so many different mounting options and they're common mounting options, right? And by our design and our, and our ruggedized chassis, we're still able to come up with the most common mounting options. So wall mounting, uh, VESA mounting, uh, bookshelf mounting, you know, DIN rail mounting specifically for industrial automations. And, you know, why that's important. I mean, mounting isn't really sexy when we talk about mounting, but it offers the customer the ability, the flexibility to mount it in space constrained locations. And that's the key there, right? Is as you move into these uh, space constrained applications, you need to be able to mount the computer and access the computer in a, in a very efficient way. And I think Kenneth has some pretty good examples, right? Um, that really can talk about the mounting and why it's beneficial. One great example that I have in mind is we have a customer that specializes in uh, basically modifying uh, heavy industrial vehicles, big rigs, commercial uh, vans, things like that. And for this one particular project, they wanted to use our panel PCs and mount it inside a cabin of big rig trucks so that it can you know face the driver and kind of feed it data and, and in real time. This is very important to have in terms of having the appropriate mounting and our having a VESA mounting on the back of our panel PCs. Uh, we're able to kind of serve that purpose, uh, you know, and also having it angled in the right way so that it can display information to the driver appropriately. Another example I have is uh, kiosk customers. Uh, kiosk customers are focused on designing kiosk enclosures of different shapes and sizes, and they need computers that can fit into these, uh, what doesn't talk about this uh, space constrained environments inside the enclosure without having to worry about adjusting their kiosk design. So having the mounting options on our compact industrial PCs, we can mount it, for example, in vertically or at an angle, and it kind of gives them overall greater flexibility. Let's jump to number four now. So a critically important but basic decision for your edge computer is around what sort of storage you need on your computer that usually either comes in the form of an SSD, a solid state drive or an HDD a hard disk drive. Uh, how do you recommend clients approach that decision? Do you often give them the tip to go SSD versus HDD or vice versa and why? I think it's you look at it from the overall market, but um, I think it really depends on the storage requirement for the application. So every specific type of application requires different different type of storage. So, um, a, a, for example, a security and surveillance uh, will require access into uh, more ca higher capacity storage because it needs to obviously store the data. Whereas in in a kiosk uh, application, it might just need a very very simple uh, low end type of storage. So um, to really get to really drive the tips, I think in, when it 
comes down to either you know uh, the type of storage, whether it be a solid state or a rotational drive. It comes to three key specifics. Number one, you have to look at the performance, right? So traditionally, when you look at storage, um, there's key protocols that are driving the performance, and the industry, um, whether it be consumer, whether it be on the industrial side, has really been stuck in terms of storage on on SATA. So uh, SATA. That traditional technology, which is the the communication between the storage performance, it's only at six gigabits. So six gigabits is around what five hundred five hundred megabytes on the read and write per second, right? So that's basically your bottleneck in terms of the performance. Uh, but now, what's really coming into play, and and in in a lot of the the newer type of computing solutions is this new protocol called NVMe. And NVMe is extremely fast because it runs off the PCIe protocol. So PCIe, uh, each lane is about a gigabyte per second. So, you know, your standard SSD uh, NVMe by four, that's four gigabytes per second on the read, um, a little bit less on the right. And that's extreme amounts of performance. So if you think about that, um, in an industrial environment or an enterprise environment, if you have access to all the storage now, then you have the ability to move the data, you know, freely throughout the system. Uh, a second key requirement would be you have to look at your deployment environments. And I think we deal with this a lot because um, most people don't understand or most people don't really know that, you know, drives can be deployed in, in harsher environments. But if you use a standard temperature drive um, and in that environment, it oftentimes can fail. So, um, you know, SSDs are a little bit better. Um, in terms of the overall environmental performance, because there's actually not a, any moving disks, and it's also rated to have a you know wider temperatures as well. In addition to that, SSDs use uh, a different type of technology, storage technology. They use NAND technology, so NAND actually has uh, you know better read and write speeds. Um, it's not physically writing to a uh, rotational disk. The only downfall of using NAND is that it has a limited amount of uh, write. So you only can write a certain amount of times on the overall drive. And then uh, last but not least, pretty obvious is, you know, what is your storage capacity, right? Are you, do you need something, uh, do you need terabytes of storage or do you need, need gigabytes of storage? So um, traditional rotational drives, um, will always give you the maximum capacity, but you suffer the performance decrease. But SSDs, um, I think as as the cost per gigabyte and now cost per terabyte really goes down, I think you're going to start to see a major shift into SSDs being kind of the norm. Yeah, and because the SSDs have no moving parts uh, and they use a uh, NAND technology, they're overall much more ruggedized, and that is a uh, big advantage for a lot of our customers. So, for example, going back to the customers I discussed earlier uh, that deploy our units in rugged outdoor environments, you know, they they need SSDs 100% because they need these systems to be uh, as ruggedized as possible. And at the same time, they need uh, two drives inside uh, one unit in order to uh, share redundancies and to make sure that there is a backup of all the data that they collect. Because again, having uh, not, it's not just having uh, in just one drive is enough so in certain cases. Sometimes you need uh, two drives, three drives or more uh, to serve as backup for each other. Uh, we have another customer and their field is, is, is in uh, maritime. So they mount our systems uh, inside uh, boats, basically uh, ocean going vessels. And same thing. they need to use solid state drives because these drives are able to survive the vibration and ocean travel better than a the traditional hard drive can. All right, we're getting to that halfway point. We are at tip number five. This one is another basic but important hardware consideration. That would be making sure your computer has the right IO in and out ports 
for both legacy as well as cutting edge machinery that these uh, technologies will often have to interact with. So I'm curious how you've seen I.O. needs change over the last several years and how does the work feeding through edge computers often shape the cables and ports that are needed? Yeah, so I.O.s are important in computing because that basically connects all the IoT sensors and it basically connects all the devices uh, to the computer and basically data transfer you know, back and forth. So I think it's, it's very simple. Um, I.O.s have changed to really meet the performance benchmarks for digital data transmission. What's different is on the industrial side and the edge side is uh, what's different than the consumer side is the consumers are all about performance. So you're going to see your Thunderbolts, you're going to see your USB-Cs, you're going to see all these new, new, new high performance type of uh, IOs. But when you take a step back on the embedded side and more industrial enterprise stuff, um, it's really about a balance. It's not looking for all the best performance. And the reason being is that a lot of these industrial automation or industrial applications are still using legacy type of devices that they still need to communicate with. So, for example, uh, one one specific I.O. is a digital I.O., right, or GPIO. This GPIO is able to trigger on and off in automation lines. And that's not something you're going to need in sitting on a, a desktop at your house. Um, another another key I.O. that's really driving, you know, the the digital data transmission is, you know, USB. Um, USB right now is pretty efficient in both delivering data and power. So um, most of our newer product products in USB are, you know, Gen 3.2, and the the speed of data transfer is about 10 gigabits uh, per second. Um, I think another key I/O to really focus on is the power over Ethernet, and power over Ethernet in short is PoE, and it's very simple. You you don't have to have two cables to drive power and data. You actually can streamline that into a single cable to drive both power and data, and that's huge in a lot of this smart uh, security and surveillance because as you can imagine um, these all these iot sensors need to communicate back to a device or compute to store whatever data that they're seeing and that can be done through a uh, power over ethernet and then last but not least um, 4k displays right as you get better display technology and you get that better graphics uh, accelerators you're going to be able to display more pixels in a, in a better resolution so you know multiple, triple, even six displays out of a single uh, computer are, are what we're trying to see. So really, I think the answer there is, you know, balancing and balancing both leg legacy analog, but also uh, digital ports in a lot of this industrial computing. Yeah, having a lot of uh, an Apple I.O. ports is really important for our customers because if you think of how many types of peripherals are out there in the world, uh, you know, and our customers really run the gamut in terms of their use cases, they need a lot of different I.O. ports to connect to different accessories. So from what I've seen, for example, USB ports is one of the highest, if not the highest top uh, ranking in terms of importance to our customers for I.O. ports. Our kiosk customers, for example, need a lot of USBs to connect the different accessories that fit into a kiosk. Okay, so you think about it, you have cameras, you have printers, sometimes you have thumb scanners, and etc. And USB is kind of the de facto uh, standard for these kind of accessories. Um, circling back to the maritime customers I was talking about earlier, that is kind of like the opposite end where they need more com ports because a lot of these boats and ocean-going vessels uses a com port to communicate between the system and the boat itself and various uh, systems on a boat. And com ports is a more uh, legacy component you don't see around as much anymore. But in this use case, and for example, it is uh, still very critical. You know, Dustin mentioned earlier about uh, PoE ports, uh, power over Ethernet. Um, this is especially important for some of our surveillance customers because you know they need a lot of PoE ports to 
plug in and power a lot of different uh, security cameras and this is uh, kind of advantageous in that it provides both data and power on one single cable and it kind of helps cut down on the form factor and all the different wirings. All right, tip number six now is getting into more of the wireless side of these connections. So the reality is that while a lot of edge compute infrastructure still runs over cables, more and more is needing to interface wirelessly, especially as edge computer technology supports more IoT deployments. So have you seen any recent advancements in uh, wireless standards for compute technology, especially as Wi-Fi 6 and 5G continue to uh, expand their footprint as as a system designer our main goal is to offer the modularity and the flexibility to offer these wireless connectivity protocols so um, like you mentioned as iot and all these sensors are coming online they are going to be starting to communicate through these type of channels and as um, there's this transition into a lot of the lower latency type of applications that require you know better machine learning more artificial intelligence um, you're going to start to see more communication channels being deployed into the 5G and the Wi-Fi 6. So um, really from, from the hardware perspective, and I think we're talking about the hardware perspective here in this, this thought leadership is, um, does Premio offer these type of technologies in their next gen edge computers? Yes, we do. Um, but really as a hardware manufacturer, um, when you do offer it, it really t lots of times you're just kind of waiting for the the tipping point, right? You're waiting for uh, the adoption, right? So 5G, although everyone's hyped about it, everyone's still talking about it, everyone's still really waiting for the telecommunication providers to really plant the seeds and the layers for all of these 5G networks. So all these applications, whether it be sensors or devices, I mean, sensors, uh, gateways, computers can now start to interact and pass data back and forth peer to peer, machine to machine. Yeah, I think we're going to see a uh, 5G becoming uh, more and more critical in the future because connectivity is a very important aspect of uh, these computers that are being used out in the world. Um, for example, we have a customer that specializes in networking. And what they do is they combine uh, multiple 4G or multiple 5G signals and basically aggregating into one signal stream for uh, to use in, you know, in outdoor environments for big venues, uh, concerts, that kind of thing. And that's you know, something that we're working with them on to give them that capability, a unit that can handle and manage all these different connectivity streams. Yeah, hardware wise, I think like we also just to kind of mention what Kenneth meant, the reason why they're adding like four or even three to four type of LG, like LTE cards in our system is that we have physical SIM sockets. So um, the reason why you have multiple SIM sockets is it provides the the redundancy between multi-carrier. So if someone does carrier-wise have an issue, um, it quickly the customer can quickly switch over to another carrier and leverage the uh, bandwidth and the lower latencies based on the, those networks. Do you foresee the balance between wired and wireless needs continuing to tip in either direction of that scale moving forward? Or do you think it's going to continue to be a pretty equal balance and why? I think it really matters on the application. So at the edge side, the really the edge side, I think it's going to definitely tip over in wireless because you are deploying in a lot of these uh, remote areas, mobile areas where there's not direct wired connection all the time. So you're definitely going to see an increase there. 
but that does not mean wired is going anywhere. So um, the edge also, don't forget, I mean, we're just talking about kind of the edge where sensors, industrial computers are communicating, but there's going to be micro data centers, edge, micro edge data centers, where still we're sitting on high performance controlled environments. And these data centers all have to run on high performance networks and they're all wired because that's really how you're going to you know, deliver data center wise, deliver the performance on the network speeds. All right, let's get into point number seven now. So this one is focusing mostly on power input. So I know power input scenarios also vary greatly across edge computing needs, much like the cable requirements and the hardware uh, storage requirements. So what standards do the power capabilities of an edge computer need to meet to be a useful solution today? Is there any sort of bare minimum that they have to meet and then uh, certain standards for specific needs and why? Yeah, so very, very simply, the key benefit in edge computing in our designs is that it needs to be designed for wide power input, um, also and locking in terms of the power connector itself. Um, so what this basically means is that the the hardware itself um, can operate in unstable environments of power input, and usually there's always a, a range of power input. Um, so that range, um, basically any spikes or instabilities of power, the computer is still able to continue to run the application. So, um, you know, in a lot of mission critical applications, uh, we rate our industrial computers to, to, and we test them and then we validate them to actually still have a voltage range between, uh, nine to, to 50 volt as well. Um, so some other cool features, right? And when we're talking about power capabilities is uh, we also have built into the system architecture and the board architecture over voltage and over uh, current protection. And what this is, is that the system is designed to really cut off power if there is a surge um, higher than that regulated point, which is very important for a lot of these applications that are mission critical. So once there is a sense in the surge, um, it's basically going to cut off power and then protect the computer and basically all the data that it, that, that it has. To, in addition to that, there's re reverse polarity and reverse polarity is just idiot proof. So, um, you know, sometimes when you, you know, <laughs> sometimes when you people plug in the, the adapter into the computer, they potentially can actually flip the positive and negative. And it's, it's pretty normal, right? Some people are busy, they're doing whatever. And that's just kind of a built in uh, feature into the product. So um, once you do have a reverse polarity, it basically cuts off and it recognizes that and then it protects the overall computer. Uh, one cool feature as well, and this ties into a lot of uh, in-vehicle and intelligent uh, transportation, is that we also have built in a toggle switch for PC and car mode. Um, so when you do deploy these edge computers into vehicles, you can't just plug it into a wall, right? Because these vehicles are moving. So where is your power source coming from? And most of all the applications, the power source is coming directly from the car's battery. And that car's battery runs off of either 12 volt DC or 24 uh, volt DC. So once you toggle into that car mode, uh, you now have the ability for uh, what's called power ignition management. And this is very important because um, as you turn the key or not in this day and age, no one really turns a key in ignition anymore. But when you push the button for ignition, uh, the computer itself uh, can actually uh, recognize and basically say, okay, if it's programmable to do a delay shutdown from either five seconds to two hours. And why that's important is because sometimes uh, when the car is still in the ignition or it's being turned off in ignition, the computer is still doing some, some type of compute on the application, right? So you need the computer to really go through its finishing processes and then go through a safe shutdown. Just want to add that uh, my my car still has a key, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> we have a customer that uh, uses our panel PCs uh, inside the first responder vehicles, and you know there's a few elements that doesn't touch to one that's very important to them. So uh, number one, they need uh, 12 volts. 
uh, standard to be able to uh, use our computers inside these vehicles. And number two, they require a the car mode that Dustin talked about, which is the power ignition mode, so that when they turn off these vehicles, the computers can safely uh, step down and power off by themselves. So these are two very critical features uh, for this use case. All right, point number eight now is on the safety of this critical data, especially as more IoT networks and OT networks are deployed across various industries, the safety of this critical data comes even more into focus. So you know, I think the same can be said for edge computing uh, just in general, but also because of the intersection of uh, IoT growth. So how are edge computers being protected today, both uh, physical and network security? And are there any standards for both physical and network security that need to be put into place. Yeah, so a key defining principle of what edge computing is, is is all about the data, right? You're collecting all this data and what is the value of this data? So you need to protect the the value of this data because it's going to be driving a lot of this intelligence. It's going to be used for a lot of uh, machine learning and basically uh, decision making. And it's not only is it being done locally, right? And once that data gets processed, it now needs to be passed through some type of telemetry protocol back and forth to the cloud. So from a hardware perspective, in terms of security, um, there is a security standard that's governed by leading semiconductors and microcontrollers who are constantly dealing with the data influx of, you know, uh, on the hardware side. And what that is, is uh, defined by a protocol called the Trusted Platform Module 2.0. And what this basically is, is a crypto processor that helps with actions of, you know, either generating, storing and limiting the use of cryptographic keys. So, um, you know, basically, this TPM is a chip that's soldered down onto the board or can be a hardware chip that's put onto a board. And it really just protects uh, the data and encrypts the data that the computer is dealing with uh, to prevent uh, hacks or, you know, bad actors from really accessing these da this data. Yeah, one uh, use case in which this is very critical um, is, for example, autonomous vehicle, right? Everyone is talking about autonomous vehicle nowadays is going to be the future of, and it's a very critical um, use case for a customer. For example, we have a customer that is in this field and they request two things. Uh, one is they need a secure boot BIOS. And because Premio, you know, manufactures and designs our own system, we're able to uh, produce that for them based on our own motherboard and our own system. The second thing is the TPM 2.0 that Dustin mentioned, and that allows the data to be encrypted on a hardware level. And so in terms of uh, data protection for the driver and the vehicle, and in terms of overall safety to prevent hackers from taking over the vehicle, these are two very critical elements that uh, we provide to our customers. All right, we've got two more and some of these we've already brought up slightly, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and kind of combine them into a final take from both of y'all. But the final two hardware tips that Premio lays out are number nine, that's edge computers need to support performance accelerators so that real-time processing can be further enabled. And then like Dustin, you just mentioned about the safety of the data, edge computers also need to uh, be certified enough to pass telemetry to the cloud. So can you break both of those down for us and give us some thoughts on how this is impacting hardware needs? Yeah, so um, from, from performance acceleration, um, really you're gonna start to see all these type of uh, hardware accelerators that interact with the computer. And when I talk about hardware accelerators, this is everything from your traditional CPU 
traditional GPU, you're going to have uh, VPUs, you're going to have uh, FPGAs, you're going to have SmartNICs. And then now, um, I mean, NVIDIA is really pushing this, but uh, they're called DPUs. Um, but really, the, the acceleration is based off of one key defining technology and protocol that really drives the performance. And that's just based off your standard PCIe architecture. So PCIe, um, most of the industry is still on our embedded side is still on uh, PCIe Gen 3. But when you, you're starting to style, see all the high performance, all the data centers start to communicate on PCIe uh, Gen 4. And, you know, it's very incremental with performance. When you have PCIe Gen 4 and the adoption of Gen 4, you're going to get all this performance acceleration, not only from the, the CPU out, uh, but the, the overall system is going to be able to do a lot more in a workload consolidated environment. So depending on the application, you have all these incredible accelerators that are at your fingertips to deliver uh, incredible intelligence, incredible machine learning. And then last but not least, um, you mentioned the, the certification, right? So you, you have all this great compute products. Um, now, uh, all these cloud giants are recognizing that they need to kind of stitch together or make a map of this telemetry into the cloud. So um, these it's very evident, right? So these, these cloud management dashboards are a way for people to kind of manage all their different devices remotely. Um, so I think edge computing is really about, um, it's not really going to replace the cloud, rather it's it, the, the distribution of uh, mission critical workloads um, that are based on timelines, connectivity and security. So in terms of certification, all premium industrial products, most are certified with the major cloud partners and work with their cloud. So that's Microsoft Azure, and then you have uh, AWS, uh, you know, IoT Greengrass. And by that certification, we go through a process that basically interacts with the data telemetry between or back and forth between the cloud. All right, Dustin, Kenneth, I think that does it. We've made it through our main top 10 tips and tricks for how to craft your hardware to meet today's edge compute needs. If you want more examples of what we talked about today, there is a whole blog on this on the Premio site. We'll be sure to link to it in the description. Give it a read. There's some other insights that we didn't touch on on the podcast, but bottom line, I feel like we laid it all out. There are a lot of hardware needs, some simple ones, some more confusing ones, but these all, if you follow them, will give you a solid edge computing solution that will be flexible enough to meet the varied workloads that are shaping today's edge compute needs. So thank you to both of our guests for joining us and giving insights today. I'd like to thank Dustin C2, Director of Product Marketing, and Kenneth Howe, Business Development Manager. Uh, Dustin, if folks want to find out a little bit more about what we broke down today, other than the blog, is there any uh, anywhere else we should send them? Yeah, so we have um, kind of put together this series of a rugged edge survival guide. So not only are there podcasts, we also have case studies, we also have blogs, we have white papers that really kind of deliver and prove um, kind of what we're putting into the innovation of our rugged edge computers. Um, and you can find that on our website. That's www.premioinc.com. Or you can, uh, you know, reach out for Kenneth for his personal number and he can give you some more tips on where, <laughs> where to buy some of our products. <laughs> 24-7 anytime. Love it. Love it. We're throwing cell phone numbers out now on the podcast. <laughs> All right, Dustin, Kenneth, thanks again to both of you and we'll chat again soon. Thank you, Daniel. Have a beautiful day. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you everyone for joining this episode of the Rugged Edge Survival Guide, a Premio podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as heading to our site, premioinc.com. Again, premioinc.com. 
I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.